Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. This is kind of an interesting morning. This is Family Sunday, and so the kids are in, and some of the kids I haven't seen for a while because they've been baseballing all summer, and, and some have done pretty well. I, I said I wasn't going to say anything, but we have like the state champions in what, 7, 9, and 12-year-olds or 12 and under, is that right? Something like that. So welcome back to church, guys. We believe God's a priority, but we think we, we like baseball too. We like baseball too, so thanks, thanks for being here and coming back with us. Uh, I don't know if you know what kind of church we are, but we are a church that emphasizes the next generation. You, you're, you're, you're listening to today a guy that spent 28 year, years in youth ministry, and that's my preferred ministry. I got demoted to be senior pastor a few years ago, 12 years ago. So I've been in ministry for 40 years, but we, as a Christian church, typically emphasize student ministry and children's ministry because we want the next generation to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to love him as we do. And so we invest a ton there because we think it's major league baseball important, even beyond baseball, by the way. Amen. So we are in a series right now called, well, actually we're, we're landing the plane today, surrounded by lions. It's out of the book of Daniel. If you're joining us for the first time online or here in the room and you can hear my voice, this is the last Sunday. And I'm kind of sad because I really like Daniel. I hope you have as well. I don't get to preach out of the Old Testament as often as, as I would like. I like the Old Testament, but I like the New Testament better, if that makes sense. But Daniel is a type of Jesus in the Old Testament, and we can glean so much, and it's so relevant. And, and it's so important that we know Scripture because it makes a difference in our lives. And, and Daniel focused his life on what was most important the main things were the main things in Daniel's life, as they should be in our lives. And I want to do a quick review this morning. First of all, remember in Daniel, we, we saw that Daniel was trying, or Babylon tried to program Daniel to serve the kingdom of Babylon rather than the kingdom of God. We feel that pressure today in our culture to serve culture rather than God. And it comes so many ways and it is so subtle. It's so deceitful and it makes so much sense. But remember in Proverbs it says there's a way that seems right to man, but in, in the end it's death. And, and realize this, that we are being shaped more and more into the image and the likeness of someone or something. So either the culture shapes us or we shape the culture because we are being shaped and transformed into the likeness of Christ. And I want to just remind you and ask the question, why were they in Babylon? Why was the Israelites exiled to Babylon? And there's a couple reasons. Number one, because of their continual disobedience of God's people, they were exiled in 605 B.C. 605 B.C. And what we see in Daniel is so amazing because of what Daniel prophesies and sees is in the future. And realizing that they were disobedient 
But at the same time, as Christians, we cannot out-sin. You cannot out-sin God's grace. God's grace is sufficient. It is ever-reaching, as I preached about last week. If you know about the grace of God, it's kind of scary. It's kind of radical because you are loved. You are... God is crazy in love with you and wants the best for you. And his grace is sufficient for you. But realize this as well. That unrepentant sin always leads to exile. There is always consequences, natural and spiritual consequences that lead to exile. So that's why we have communion every Sunday. Not just because God commanded it and because we've been given the example. It's because we can get our hearts and our lives right with God every week. So the second reason why they were in Babylon is because God loved Babylon even though Babylon didn't love or acknowledge God. God loves your lost neighbor that drives you crazy and does those crazy things, uh, leaving their trash can out all week, that doesn't mow their grass enough, that, that plays their music too loud. Yes, he loves your neighbors that are far from God. And he wants us to have an influence to bring him, them to Christ. Now, there are two parts to the book of Daniel, and I think this is a little insightful. This is, it doesn't come from me. This, this I heard, and I think is very, very important. Chapters 1 through 6, the first half of Daniel, it was what was going on around Daniel. You know, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story of Daniel and the lion's den, first six chapters. Stuff that was going on around. But the seventh chapter through the 12th chapter of Daniel, it was what was going on inside of Daniel. It's the apocalyptic, it's the revelatory visions that Daniel has. So if you're ready to go, I'm going to try to do Daniel chapter 9, 10, 11, and 12. We'll try to land the plane and give you the, the, the big overview without being too repetitive this morning. So, Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet. Now, Daniel's opening a scroll of Jeremiah the prophet to just reconfirm what he already knew, that the time of exile was almost over. Why did he know that? Because he looked into the book into the Bible at that time, to Jeremiah, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, how long? 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now, here's a, a moment in Daniel's life where Prophecy was going to be fulfilled and he should have been celebrating or I would think I would be celebrating. Yay, I'm getting to go home. Not Daniel. He was in sackcloth. He was mourning. He was depressed. And Daniel is reflecting on his life in this moment. He is reflecting on his life as he is praying. He had spent 70 years, all of his adult life in Babylon. 
Now we just had a period of time where we've gone through some uphill and downhill and some conflict and all kinds of stuff with the pandemic. We didn't know whether to get vaccinated. We didn't know whether to wear masks. I don't even, I mean, it's kind of scary even to say those words in here right now because some people, in fact, I said that in first service, somebody went out and I definitely knew exactly where she stood. And I'm like, I'm sorry I went there, but, but we've got to realize we've been through something and I hope, just like Daniel hoped, that we are a changed people. We are more faithful. We have grown through this experience and we know what priorities are and what matters. You see, Daniel's heart was impacted because of that exile experience, but he wasn't quite sure that everybody else's was. And the question is, have our hearts been impacted? Are we closer to God? Have we grown spiritually? Have we been changed through that experience? And notice in verses 4 through 6, it says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. See, they were there because of the chosen people who chose to be disobedient. You know, church, are we that people today? We show up on Sunday, but we don't live like we were followers of Jesus on Monday through Saturday. We can err just like the Israelites did. You see, our Babylon was sinful, but Israel was sinful as well. And Daniel is recognizing that. And, and he says we. Who is the we? The we. Now, you remember when the cults used to be good? It's been a few years. In fact, I was a youth pastor back in those times. It was a long time ago when Pete Manning was quarterback. I mean... I wanted to have church on Sunday night, but the playoffs were going on, and basically nobody showed up. Remember those days when we were good? The we? We owned them then. But they are not so good now. And Jonathan Taylor's not in very good shape right now either. So maybe a long year this year. We and they, but recognize that Daniel was a righteous man of God and he was acknowledging we. You see, Daniel is teaching us that leaders take responsibility for problems that aren't always their fault. He owned it. Look at Daniel chapter 9 verses 20 through 23. It says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, Jerusalem, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, that was the angel Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of evening sacrifice, 
Now Daniel was pulling back in his memory because the temple was no more. There was no evening sacrifice at that time. He was remembering what it was as a teenager. Even before that, probably, he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Christian, know that you are greatly loved. In some of your Bibles, it says, you are highly, Daniel was highly esteemed. What's fascinating is that, that Gabriel was saying, hey, I was moved, I was coming immediately when you prayed, and if you know the book of Daniel, that he had to fight through the prince of Persia, one demonic being, or demonic beings, and he had the help of Archangel Michael, which was the archangel that was set apart to take care of God's chosen people, that there are powers and there are principalities, there's a spiritual warfare going on even then. And Gabriel had told Daniel that I had finally made it, or he had finally made it. And what did he say? Your prayers are being heard. You are highly esteemed. You are greatly loved. Folks, when we pray, God moves. We don't control God. He does his will. But God moves, even today, with our prayers. And recognize this, that Daniel hadn't had an easy life. As a teenager, he'd been led out as a nobleman's child. He'd been led out into exile, into Babylon, into captivity. He'd been programmed and brainwashed. And he resisted and he followed God. And God set him up as a ruler of the land. Next to the king, all of those kings sought out Daniel's wisdom and advice because the hand of God was on Daniel. He'd probably been castrated. He was probably a eunuch. In fact, it was prophesied that the nobleman's children in in the Old Testament would be made eunuchs when Israel betrayed and disobeyed God. So he had not had an easy life. And in fact, as he served God in higher authority, in governmental positions, he was persecuted for his faith because they could not find any fault in him. And yet, the key to Daniel's stability was his prayer life. Folks, what we do personally in devotion, in study of God's word, in praying matters. That's where our stability comes from. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. We automatically breathe. That's part of our autonomic system. Is prayer like that for you? Martin Luther said it this way, he said, I I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours a day praying. I didn't complete that quotation. But that's what Martin Luther said. Now, I don't start my day with three hours of prayer. I got to tell you. But I spend some time in prayer as I start my day. Every day. And you should too. 
You see, prayer is not the way we get God to love us. It is the result of knowing how much he loves us. Prayer is not an obligation. It is an opportunity to talk to our creator, the sovereign God, in Jesus' name. Now, we're going to look at some prophetic scripture today. This is going to be in addition to what, what I've already preached the last few uh, couple weeks in the apocalyptic literature. And if you're not caught up with this, I would encourage you to go to a podcast or YouTube to kind of catch up. Here's what Daniel says in verses 24 to 26. Actually, the angel says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. Wow, that's pretty important. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince. Now, first service didn't get this. Who is the anointed one who was going to come? Man, you guys are so smart. I want to tell first service, second service got it. You guys need to beef up your game. The anointed one. Exactly. The term anointed one is really, you could say, Messiah. Daniel is predicting almost 500 years before Jesus came right now. I mean, how can you miss it? If you were a Jew living in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, how could you not see it? I mean, Daniel tells, basically gives them the date here. The coming of the anointed, an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. All right, now this is God's plan of rescue and restoration. I kind of didn't give the full deal to the first service this morning. I made kind of an error. I I was, uh, the slides that I used to kind of guide me along uh, kind of fell apart and I had to go to my notes at this moment and so I just kind of, I kind of goofed it. The 70 weeks that uh, Daniel or Gabriel is referring to is actually, in in Hebrew, is seven or, or 77s, 77s and what, what Daniel was prophesying or actually getting a vision of is 490 years. So you translate those days and those weeks, 70 times 7, to 490. And so from that time, there was going to be seven weeks. And in fact, at that moment, there was going to be 49 years until the temple would be rebuilt. Still remaining from Daniel's that time to then. And that date actually exactly occurred. Go figure. I mean, God's timeline is perfect. Amen? So, 
In fact, if I, I, I'm not encur- I don't, I'm not going to encourage you, but there's a book called the the Maccabees in First and Second Maccabees in the apocryphal books. Now, the apocryphal books that aren't in the Protestant Bible or the Evangelical Bible, it is not for doctrine. It's it's not inspired, but there's some parts of it that are good history, and in fact, it describes this what occurs at at that time. Well, there was a guy named Judas Maccabeus. A good Judas, and he basically rebelled against Antiochus Epiphanes and the Roman government and basically took back the temple and restored the temple and the temple sacrifices. And that, that would occur at, uh, in, in those 49 years. And then he talks about there would be another 62 weeks or 62 by 7, which were 434 years from that time and, and they have all this dated. And if you translate the Jewish calendar into the Gregorian calendar, which we go by, there's a formula for this. Exactly at the time when Jesus, on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry was 434 years to the day. Isn't that amazing? God's timeline. Always perfect. Now, the 70th week that we talk about, because you take... 62 plus 7 and you get, okay, let me ask that again. 62 plus 7 and you get, okay, (laughs) thank you balcony baseball players, you can add, good job, they can get it. 69, there's one week left. Now this begins when Jesus returns, or some people, uh, I've I, I got to be careful here, because basically the rapture or the Antichrist comes about the same time, in that 70 week. This hasn't occurred yet. There's a time gap. But what I find fascinating, and I could be wrong, and I've been wrong before, is that we're almost to 2,000 years since Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. How many years would it be, approximately? About, anybody know? Ten years. Could we be living in the latter days? Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. It says, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for a half a week he shall put to an end of sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Okay. That's talking about that 70th week. Okay. Not yet come, but is coming. I I wish I had some weird music on it. Okay. That's as weird as I can get. (laughs) All right. Daniel chapter 11, 36 through 45. We're going to plow some new ground here that we haven't talked about yet. This is all new here. And this is talking about the Antichrist. Not one of the Antichrist, many, but the Antichrist at the end in the 70th week. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. Talk about egomaniac. And shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. We know that he's going to be anti-God. The sovereign God that we know. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. He's going to be very successful. For what is decreed shall be done. 
He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. That's military might. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him. And, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. When, when I was in Israel, uh, someone asked me why we were going to Megiddo. I think I might have said this before, and, and I just kind of smiled. And they just didn't realize the significance because they didn't understand what Megiddo was. And, and Megiddo is built on several different uh, civilizations, so to say, and it's a large hill, and it's a beautiful place because you can oversee the valley, and it controls the king's highway. I mean, it was a military, uh, what do I say, strategic military point. There was another tell on the other side of the valley, and if you control both tells, you controlled the commerce and militarily everything in that area. It was a huge deal. We know it as Armageddon. What I didn't know when I was there at Armageddon or at Megiddo was that the Israeli Defense Force has a secret Air Force military base in that area. It's documented. It's underground. And, and what we're seeing here in this passage of Scripture, I believe, is Armageddon. The end of all days. When we see that happen, when you look at Revelation, the battle of Armageddon's never fought. Why? Because God wipes them out. It just, it's gone. Nothing, I mean, it's all over. Now, I, I want you to get this. As we're going through all of this decoding, the Bible was not meant to be decoded. It was meant to reveal a Savior. Amen? This is not hard. If you're in Christ, you, you, you're saved. You, you have the Spirit of God living in you. You have nothing to fear. And this is what I think is fascinating about the end of the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through, through 4, it says, And at that time shall arise Michael. Michael is the archangel of Israel. God's chosen. 
the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since, the, since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. There, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now, what book is that? Anybody know? It is the book of life. We see in Revelation. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting. Now, how can you not get that? That there's a heaven and a hell. Daniel said it 500 years B.C. Shared it. How can you not get that? And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Folks, we live in an information era. I mean, the the web is getting faster. In Brazil, Indiana, in the Wabash Valley, we have fiber optics. How much faster can knowledge increase? Knowledge is increasing. No one can keep up. But, But this is overwhelming to Daniel. This is like sensory overload. And there's what the angel says in verse 13. He says, but go your way till the end, till you die. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted space, allotted place at the end of days. That's what he says to encourage Daniel. Hey, you're going to die, but don't worry about it. There's a place for you. You're going to stand. When God, when Jesus returns, you're going to be there, man. And you know, you that are saved that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're going to be there. You have nothing to fear. Brian Chappell said it this way. He said, the plan of his rescue is immeasurably greater than the trials of the captivity. God's got a plan for your rescue and my rescue. Our rescue is going to eclipse whatever you are going through. That's all temporary. The question is, what are you going through? Where do you need Jesus to save, heal, and deliver? Are you giving it over to him? Are you putting your faith and trust in him? Brings me to the other question. What is captivity for you? Where are you taking captive? Where does Satan have that stronghold in your life? Again, he's here to to free you from that. The question is, are you ready to be delivered from your exile? If you're far from God and you're watching online and you're saying, I'm not sure about this Christianity thing. God wants you to know his son, Jesus, is Lord and Savior of your life. If you're in this room and you hear my voice and you're living in captivity and, and, and you need freedom from a, a besetting sin, we want to pray with you. We want to help you. We want to walk alongside of you and ask God to do his work in your life, that transforming work that frees us. Whatever you need, we want to pray for and we want to seek the Lord with you. 
Would you please stand and pray with me? Eternal God and Father, we just are so grateful for the witness that Daniel has, the example of a, a life that uh, just is amazing. And Father, it's fascinating for us that live now, 2,500 or so years later, and and Father, uh, the detail and the, the prophecy and the timeline, we know the end is near. And Father, we just pray as a people, as individuals, that you'll give us strength, that you fill us with your spirit, that you'll give us the hope. And, and Father, that your light would uh, refract and reflect off of us that others might know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Father, for those that need to know him, Father, we pray your spirit's quickening would uh, bring them to you. And Father, the conviction and the, the presence would be there that they would know you. That would be irresistible for them that they might know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Father, we just pray all of this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come this morning?